Well, that video is the brainchild of our kids' time department. Um, Kathy Tilford, if you're here, would you come up here, please? My favorite part of the video, I think, is that one of the Shepherd's staff is a golf club, the driver. Um, pretty sure those weren't around in Jerusalem, and, you know. But hey, I liked it all the same. Uh, Kathy is the hardest person in the world to think. And here's why. Every Sunday morning, she is downstairs, away from all of you serving our kids, right? And for years, she's done this tirelessly, never looks for a thank you, never looks for a pat on the back. Um, she organizes, she loves on your kids, she blesses your kids constantly. And so I, I had Adam spy a little bit and confirm there's no kids time this morning. So we finally took advantage of the opportunity to publicly thank her in front of all of you. And um, if you've got a kid or had a kid any time in the last, I, don't, I won't say how many years, Kathy, uh, but any time in the last little bit uh, that's come through this ministry, this woman has loved on them and blessed them and taught them the word of God. And so join me in publicly thanking her for all she does for our kids. Thank you. Yep. That was appropriate. And if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Okay? Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue one in front of you. Just look at the pew back in front of you. Um, and if you don't know where Colossians is, just go to page 821 of that. Um, and, we'll, and you will be at Colossians 1. By the way, if you don't own a Bible, okay, and uh, we ask that you leave that one in the pew because we use it every week, but in this connector and right out here, we have just a stack of Bibles free for you. We want you to have the Word of God. I want you to know that what we say around here uh, comes from it and not from us, and so please take one of those as, as an early Christmas gift from us. Well, five years ago uh, for Christmas, my in-laws surprised us. Uh, in my wife's home growing up, they had this tradition where every single year their family would go on a vacation together, right? And since she and I had gotten married, that tradition had stopped. There'd been no more uh, full family vacations. And I can't shake this feeling that somehow I ruined that tradition, right? I just decided they just couldn't stand a week with me. So they just, just cut, cut the tradition out altogether. But anyways, for, for, for this Christmas, they decided they wanted to bring that tradition back. And so for that year's Christmas, they bought um, our family and Corinne's brothers all tickets for a cruise, um, so that everyone could go on one trip together again. It remains one of the nicest things and most gracious things that someone's done for me, but I'd never been on a cruise. Okay? I, I, I knew some things about them. All right? I, I knew there was a lot of food. I knew there was a lot of entertainment. And I figured that, that the cruise ship would be really big. Right? I just assumed that would be the case. But I always remember and when we got out of the car and stepped onto the port when I saw the cruise ship for the first time and saw how massive it was. It was one of these things that, that looked so big, it didn't look real. It looked like it was created by CGI or special effects. And I just kept staring. I couldn't believe how big it was. And so I, I tried to take a picture of it. And of course, I could only get about 15% of the boat in the picture because it was just so big. And despite what I assumed, despite what I knew, despite what I thought in advance, I never grasped how big it was until I fully experienced it myself. Now this is Christmas Sunday 2015. This is the week that December 25th will fall on our calendar. And Christmas has become controversial somehow. Right? I don't know exactly when this started, but in our increasingly politically correct world, there's less and less acceptance of traditional Christmas wording and traditional Christmas celebrations. Right? And in response to this, the media's picked up on these things and they report on them. And I believe that there are some outlets reporting on this, uh, trying to drive ratings and push a narrative with their audience, and there are some others that do it hoping 
to get Christians to overreact. And well, we don't disappoint, do we? Right. Today, I, I, I want to officially encourage all of you to not be concerned with the so-called war on Christmas. Now, do some of the decisions seem foolish? Yeah, they do. Have some institutions probably gone too far in the name of political correctness? Sure, but that's what institutions do. Is there really a threat to Christmas? No, not in the slightest. I saw a sign in, in our town this week right, that said, Jesus is calling you to celebrate his birthday, not Santa. And I thought to myself, do, do we really think that Jesus is worried about that? Like that when people put a Rudolph in their yard instead of a nativity scene, Jesus is pulling his hair and thinking, oh my gosh, what do I do about this? He's not. And the reason that he's not is because none of this could ever begin to threaten him. The reason that he's not is because he's so much bigger than a, than a holiday. Okay, and I'm not here to disparage holidays. I, I love them. I think followers of Christ should enjoy holidays. Right? Because regardless of how overtly religious they are or not, holidays are one of the few remaining times in our society where, where businesses actually close. And people get together and they share meals and share conversations and share presents. And, and a God who commands us to observe a day of rest every single week and a God who designed us with a need to share life with other people is a God who's not threatened by holidays, but I believe he smiles on them. But we must understand the difference, you see, between a holiday and Christmas. Because any store can sell me a holiday tree. Right? Anybody can refuse to wish me a Merry Christmas. And it does absolutely nothing to dampen what happened on that day in Bethlehem. And what can happen is that we get so wrapped up in the holiday, or defending the holiday, is that we actually lose sight of the immensity of what actually occurred. December 25th is a holiday. It's, 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 a, it's a day I look forward to yearly, but, but Christmas? Christmas in meaning that God came to us is a cataclysmic event that changed everything. And what can happen is that in our familiarity with the story, we can actually miss how big it really is. Right? We know about the star, and we know about the angels, we know about Mary and Joseph, we know about baby Jesus, we know the songs, we know the story. But when Ron read for us this morning in John 1 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, what all does that mean? So together, I want us to look at Colossians 1 this morning. Colossians is a letter that, that Paul wrote to the church at Colossians. And in chapter 1, he breaks down for them in this vivid detail who Jesus actually is. Right? And so as we read this section this morning, I want us all to realize that we are reading about the baby in the manger. Right? Because our propensity is to leave him in the manger because that's a cute Christmas story. A baby's manageable. A baby can be ignored. How could a baby ever be a threat? Oh, he is. He is. And I want us to see today that, that Christmas is so much bigger than maybe you've ever grasped. So look at Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. Colossians 1, 15 says this. It's talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. All right, so the first... The very first thing we're told here about Jesus is that he's the image of the invisible God. Now, this is the miracle of Christmas. Philippians 2 expands on this. It tells us that though Jesus was in very nature God, though he was God, he took on the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He became one of us. Make no mistake about it. God himself was in that manger. And the ramifications of that know no bounds. John says that in, in John 1 that the word became flesh and that we have seen him. Our eyes have seen his glory. Paul writes here that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. 
God had never fully revealed himself visibly before Jesus came. And Hebrew 1 picks up on this and tells us in the past, right, in the past that God has spoke to humans in a variety of different ways, but now he has spoken to us. Now he has revealed himself fully to us through his son, Jesus. Some of the most sought-after questions in life are are this, like, who is God? What, What is God like? What does he want from me? And all of those questions have been answered in Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what God's like? Do you, do you want to know what he desires? Do you want to know what he stands for? Do you know what he pursues? Do you want to know what pleases God? Do you want to know what makes him upset? Do you want to know what, how he feels about your sin? Do you want to know that how, if he wants to be a part of your life or what he thinks is the biggest need in your life? Then look at Jesus. Study Jesus. Read about Jesus. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. For when you get to know who Jesus is and what Jesus taught, what he stood for and what he was like and what he calls you to do, then you get to know God because they are one and the same. Jesus Christ is God's revelation of himself to us. What a gift. And then we're told that he's the firstborn over all creation. There's some cultural context to that. The phrasing does not mean that he had to be born before anyone else or that Jesus had to be created for the next verse will blow that notion out of the water. It just simply means that Jesus existed prior to and reigned supreme over all creation. And Paul expands on this in verse 16. Look at what he writes in verse 16. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers and authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Right, so Paul tells us that, that by Jesus, everything was made. This is all-inclusive. Right, so everything physical, everything spiritual, everything in heaven and on earth, every force, every power, every dominion, everything that you can see and everything you can't see has its beginning in Jesus Christ. He created it. He spoke it into being. It would not be here if it was not for him. And yes, that includes you. Now, we see this in his earthly ministry, right? When we read this in the Gospels, where Jesus is walking around and diseases are being wiped out in a second. People are being healed instantaneously. Fig trees are withering. Winds and waves and storms are all ceasing just at the sound of his voice and the expression of his command. Dead people are being raised back to life again. And why? Because he told them to. Because as the creator and the originator of everything, he has power over it all. And if that wasn't enough, wait till you grasp the end of the verse. Because we read at the end of the verse, all things were created by him, and listen to this, and for him. For him. Now that's a huge, widespread truth. But let's make it personal for a second. Do you want to know why you're here? Do you want to know why you exist You were created for the glory and pleasure and enjoyment and exaltation of Jesus Christ. In fact, everything in all creation was made to point to and make much of him. And we actually don't have a say in this. We don't get a say in this. Philippians 2 tells us that at the end of time, when everything, when all is fully revealed, every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're told in Colossians 1 that the purpose for your existence is to make much of him. One way or another, you will do that. You will either bow now or you will bow later. And we don't get to decide if Jesus is the supreme ruler over all creation any more than we get to decide that water's wet. It's just so. What we have the opportunity to do is to submit willingly to his reign because at the end, it'll be too late to pick your side. And on that day, there will be there there those, uh, those there who will bow joyfully, knowing that they 
the one that they lived for, the one that they surrendered to, the one uh, that they gave everything for will now make everything right. And there'll be others there who will be bowing out of fear and out of sheer horror, having missed their opportunity to declare their allegiance. Listen, don't miss this. You have been uniquely designed and wired and created and placed for the name and glory of Jesus Christ. And until you are living for him, until he's at the center of your life and your home and your marriage and your career, then you are not who you were created to be. And any restlessness in your life, any lack of peace, any uh, dissatisfaction, or that any feeling in your soul that there's got to be something more than this is there because you are not living for your God-given purpose. And in just a couple of verses, we're going to show you what Jesus did to make it possible for you to discover and live in the fullness of your purpose for existence. But Paul's not done telling us who Jesus is. So look at verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now, he, re- he reiterates that Jesus is before all things, that he's timeless and eternal, that he existed before anything was created. And then we're told that in him, all things hold together. Now, each of these descriptions seem to get more intense than the last. Because think about it. What we're told here is that the reason that the earth remains on its axis, the reason that we stay in our perfect rotation around the sun, the reason that our planet has the perfect atmospheric conditions for life to exist... The reason that the forces of gravity and physics are in place, the reason that your organs function the the way that they should, the reason that the seasons change and the sun rises and the rain falls and the plants glow is that by his power, Jesus is holding this all together. He existed before it, he created it, he put it all into place and now he's holding it all together. And in addition to that, he is the head of his body, which is his church. He's the ruler. He's the authority. The king of the church is Jesus. And as his body, we take our lead from him. He determines what we should give our focus to. He determines what our priorities should be. He determines our direction. He sets our mission. He's the one that we answer to. Jesus is the head of his church. Now, a lot of times what happens is this. A lot of times, really seasoned Christians will sort of spiritually sit Christmas Sunday out. Right? You come here, you put on your nice clothes, you wear your Christmas dresses, but it's so familiar to you that because you're already a follower of Christ that this is a day to be celebrated but not really convicted. But here's the thing. Right? If you are a Christian, then you are the church. You are part of the church. And right here, you are told that Jesus is your head. He's your authority. He is the authority of your life. Are you living like that so? Are you taking your lead? Are you making your decisions? Are you forming your life based on him and his teachings? Or are you doing your own thing and trying to slap a Christian label on top of it? Jesus did not come to change everything for all eternity so that you would believe in him for a single moment for salvation. No, he came and demands you to surrender your entire life to him. To give him control. To obey him above all else. For, for he to submit to this place... And and to come and take our flesh and to give his life on a cross and defeat death for us should compel us to live for him first. He's the head of his church. He's also the beginning and firstborn from among the dead. The idea of a resurrection is a powerful notion in human experience. It's, It's the hope of anybody who believes in an afterlife. 
but it's the single hope of Christianity. In 1 Corinthians 15, we are told uh, that if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then Christians more than all people should be pitied more than most. Because, because we gave our lives for a lie, if that's so. But not only did Jesus raise from the dead, in defeating death, he made resurrection possible for all who believe in him. And Jesus says as much in John 11 when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. There's a scene described for us in Revelation where people from every age and every nation and every tribe and every tongue will experience eternal life in heaven, a place where there's no more tears and no more sadness and no more pain or separation or tragedy and death. And we're told right here that every single person who will experience that eternal life will experience it because Jesus made it possible. And it wasn't anything they did. It was, it was him. It was his power over death. And then the verse closes out with this, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Which literally means this, okay? It means Paul was writing and was like, you know what? I could list a thousand things that he's supreme over. But I'm just going to save the time and tell you this. He's first in everything. He's preeminent over everything. He has supremacy over everything. Now, I've been a sports fan my whole life. And in the culture of sports, things are always being ranked, Right? And a lot of times it's, it's easy in sports because things get really clear for us. Scores are kept. Games and matches and fights and races are all won and lost. And so the ones with the most points or the best score, the best record, get ranked higher than the ones who don't have that. And what the Bible is telling us here is that in everything Jesus is supreme. In everything he's first. Listen, Christmas wasn't a holiday. That that manger wasn't a nativity scene. The baby surrounded by Mary and Joseph wasn't a Christmas card. The great power in all the universe had broken through the silence, had closed the gap between us and him, and had come for us. And the reasons why he came mean so much more than we hardly give it credit for. His purpose was coming was so much greater than we often realize, even those in the church. And I know what some of you may be thinking. You're thinking, bro, it's a baby. I mean, I hear what you're saying and all, but it's a baby surrounded by farm animals, born to poor parents, scarred by a scandal. There's no crowd of thousands cheering his arrival. How could this be a big deal? But Jesus was talking in Matthew 13, and he said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that a man took in the, and planted in his field. And though it's the smallest of all the seeds, when it grows... It becomes the largest of all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of air come and perch in its branches. Jesus is saying, look, look, man, a mustard seed looks like nothing, right? It's, it's so small, it's barely visible to the human eye when you place it in your hand. But Jesus said, that's fine, just put it in the ground. And once you put it in the ground, it's just a matter of time. And what Jesus is talking about there is his kingdom. He's talking about why he came and he's saying, yeah, Doesn't look like much at first, does it? Pretty humble beginnings, but the seed's in the ground. And the implications of why I am here are so far-reaching, they will expand beyond what you can even imagine. I mean, look what we're told in verses 19 and 20. Colossians 1 verse 19 says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It tells us that God was pleased. This was God's will. It was his intention. This was God's plan all along. He was pleased to put all his fullness in his son, Jesus. 
And so jam-packed into that tiny frame of a baby that will grow into a boy and then grow into a man is the full divinity of God. And here's why God did this. To reconcile back to him everything by the blood of Jesus on the cross. Now reconcile means to end conflict. It means to make things right. It means to restore them to their original design. And here's the truth of our world. It's not right. It is in constant conflict. It is not how it was designed to be. God created a world that was free of tragedy. It was free of death. It was free of sin and illness and consequences. And we brought sin into the world. And when we did so, all of creation was split and fractured. It was all thrown into chaos. And the only remaining order that still exists is because Jesus by his power is holding it together. But it's not how it was designed to be. And so God sent Jesus to reconcile everything back to him by defeating the power of sin on the cross. And this is bigger than you and me. It's so much bigger than you and me. There are so many different institutions, so many different gifts that God gave the human race that we have taken and used for evil. Gifts that God designed for our joy and we now use them to create pain. Family, marriage and sex, food, authority, the human body, our drive, our competitive spirit. So many things that were designed for our good, designed for our joy, designed to point our focus upwards and towards God that we have abused and now used to hurt others and destroy lives and destroy families and oppress people. And God has an answer for all of it, for every broken heart, for every broken home, for every injustice, every act of oppression, every display of racism. God declared war on all of it when he sent Jesus. And the seed's in the ground. It's just a matter of time. Evil's days are numbered. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God until all his enemies are placed under his feet where he can crush them. And when he came, he gave sin and death and evil the knockout blow. And what is happening now is the referee is standing over them, giving them the ten count. And it's just a matter of time before everything is reconciled back to God. It's just a matter of time before all wrongs have been made right. It's just a matter of time before evil is purged forever. And it's all possible through the blood of Jesus on the cross. Because the power source of everything unfair, the power source of every hurt, every illness, every tragedy, and every death is sin. Those things are fueled by sin. They're made possible by sin. They're given their power by sin. And when Jesus went to the cross as the only perfect sinless being ever to die, he paid the debt for sin. He robbed it of its power and he took back what was rightfully his. And we are called to be his witnesses, to build his kingdom and spread his love and his message and his justice all over our world until he comes back and makes it final. This is so much bigger than you. But yes, it includes you. Very much includes you. Look at verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Jesus came for more than you, yes, but he also came for you. Because you and I are just like all of creation. We need reconciled back to God. That this tells us here that we are alienated, we are separated from God, we are actually enemies of his. 
Right? Because of my sin, because of the evil things I've done, because of the times that I've been selfish and put, my, put myself before others before him, I am separated from God and that makes me an enemy. And there's no one worse to be an enemy of than Almighty God. But this is why he came. He came because he loves you, because he's not okay with you being his enemy. He came to reconcile you back to himself. So Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin, the cost of sin, the penalty of sin is death. And God, in his great love for you, sent Jesus to take on that death for you. He sent Jesus to be whipped so viciously that the flesh was torn off his back. He sent Jesus to have seven-inch seven inch metal spikes driven through his wrists and feet. He sent Jesus to be hung naked, beaten, bloody, and exposed on the cross so that you could be reconciled back to him. And then he raised Jesus from the dead so that you could live forever with him for all eternity where evil has been vanquished for all time. That though you are guilty, though you are a sinner, though you are an enemy of God, if you surrender your life to Jesus, then Jesus presents you to God as holy and perfect and free from any accusation. Because he has forgiven you, because you have been freed, because you have been made right with God. Tell me, what can take that away? What court ruling or commercial slogan could ever take that away? Christmas is not a holiday. It is when God broke through to offer you a hope that never fails, a grace that erases all your sins, a purpose for being, and a life that never ends. Christmas is when God planted the seed that would destroy his, his every enemy and stealer of joy in existence. And it is when he sent Jesus on a rescue mission to pluck you from the bowels of death and hell and bring you to him forgiven and free and perfect. The only thing left to do is embrace it. To hold on to the hope and the good news, Paul says here. To surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And you live long enough for yourself. Why not discover why you were put on this earth for? Why not live for the one who made you, the one who came for you, the one who died for you? There's nothing else we want for you. There's nothing else that we have to offer you here. There's nothing else that we pray for you other than that you would give your life to Jesus and commit to living for him. Now, this would be a really good time in a sermon to come up with a really cool story or big ending. But I don't need to do that today. Because today you will see something far better than any sermon. You're going to watch as, as individuals, whole families, think about that, whole, a whole family will come and step into this baptismal water and declare to you, I have found Jesus Christ. And I found the one who came for me. I found my purpose for living. I found a love greater than life itself. And so we invite you to just watch, to celebrate, to cheer, to thank God for the work that he has done in their lives and yours. Watch and observe to see the image of them buried in their sins and raised up to a whole new life of living for Jesus. And after that, we're, we're going to sing one more time. And we're going to do that because we're going to sing and celebrate the love that came for us on that first Christmas. And if you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to do that today, man, then come find me when we sing. Find, find whoever invited you. Talk to somebody. When we sing, after we sing, we don't care. Whatever it is, do not leave this place without getting that covered, without getting your questions answered. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came, God, that he took on our flesh. 
and a radical and awesome and aggressive pursuit of us. God, he came knowing that we had already rebelled against him and we will continue to. He came knowing the cost that it would cost him if, 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 if he had to go through this. He came knowing the purpose was to suffer and die and he came anyways. Oh, this is so much bigger than presence and singing and gathering, as good as those things are, this is so much bigger than all of that. So Lord, we pray that if there's anybody in here today who has not surrendered their life to Jesus, that they would do so in this moment. They would call out to him, discover that they really were created for him. God, in this moment, I pray for for followers of Christ who, who have not surrendered full authority over to him. The areas in our lives that we are trying to be our head, that we are trying to call our shots, may we give those to you today. Lord, I pray that as a church, we would just celebrate the saving work you do in people's lives as we get to watch these baptisms and give you all the glory and all the honor and all the credit and praise for it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. excited um, this time when you ever, ever do baptism, just a, a great um, celebratory thing of, of what Christ came here to do, celebrating Christmas and also appropriate to celebrate the change he's made in these um, people's lives. And um, So first we have an, an entire family here. Um, we have the Stonebreakers and this is Stephanie. Um, this is Stephanie and she is a um, mother of two children and the husband of a big beast of a guy. Um, so uh, um, we're very excited. They've been a, a, a big uh, part here um, in this ministry and the kids as well. And, and uh, so we're really excited that they made this um, commitment to baptism. Uh, so Stephanie, um, have you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? I have. All right. I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death. And raised to walk in the of life. Now, this is the stone breaker right here. This is the stone breaker. It's appropriate. Um, and uh, so, uh, Josh, um, have you given your life to Christ and accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes, sir. All right. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death. And raised to walk in the of life. This is Emma. This is little Emma. Um, she's the, the elder of the two, um, and uh, she was really she's really excited um, to be baptized. So is her brother, and uh, um, so we're really excited to do this. That she's made that commitment to Christ. So Emma, um, have you given your life to Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. All right. I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes. Buried in the likeness of His death. This is, this is Mac. Um, he was he was singing old MacDonald before he came down here, so he thought he was going to do a solo in the mic later. But uh, uh, Mac, we'll get you out of here since you're cold, right, buddy? <laughs> Have you given your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> 
the Kirkhams, this is Troy, um, and they're part of our small group, and, and uh, um, they know Christ, um, but more recently have uh, realized that they just need to make um, that um, declaration to the body of Christ um, through baptism, that they've made that decision. So, of course, we're really excited for them for that as well. So, Troy, um, have you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. All right, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death. Grace walk in the name of God. All right, this is his wife Jennifer, and uh, also in our small group made this came to the same decision as well, um, and so we're also very excited for her too. Um, the water's a little low here today, so they kind of had to do a little bit of a limbo as they get down there. But uh, um, so uh, we're excited for Jennifer. Jennifer. Um, have you given uh, your life to Christ as your Lord and Savior? I have. All right. I baptize you, my sister, in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death. Raised to walk in the newness of life. This is Kevin DeVoe. Um, he's, in my, uh, he's in my middle school group. Gave his life to Christ at a youth event we just went to recently. I think he's, his family's taken up like more than a whole row over there, so very excited. Uh, for him, and, and they've been a, uh, the whole family's just been a huge part of this ministry, and so we're really excited that um, he gave his life to Christ this fall, and has been excited since then to get baptized. Um, and uh, if I can keep him up here longer and keep embarrassing him, maybe his face will turn extra red. It'd be really nice. That'll be the color of this shirt. Kevin, uh, have you given your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes. All right. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of His death. To walk in newness of life. Well, that's what we're all about, is just celebrating life and the hope that we find and the love that we find in Jesus. So let's just stand and do that together. Let's just sing about that love. I found a love greater than life itself. I found a hope stronger enough.
So much for being here today. We're so glad to have you and know that you took the time out of your lives to be here. 
Listen, we want you to come back Thursday night. Okay, Thursday night, 7 o'clock here. We're going to have a Christmas Eve service uh, in, this, in this room on Thursday night. Uh, come for that. Come for the candlelight service. We'd love to have you and your families. Uh, thanks to the Gibsons, there's going to be nursery. Okay, so um, I've just, I just scared them because they're worried how many kids are coming now. But hey, come Thursday night anyways. And, uh, and we'd love to see you. And then next Sunday, you got a taste this morning in this combined service of just how much God has blessed this church musically with all the different styles and towns we have. Come back next Sunday. We have a two-service two format again, 9 o'clock, our traditional 11 o'clock lift team will be here. Uh, we'd love to see you and your families back for that. Other than that, Merry Christmas. You guys are loved. Go with Christ.